0: You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. Foster Care Nation, listen up. That's what I say every week. This week, I want to listen to you guys. If you would, you're going to hear Cheryl talk in this episode a little bit about looking for ways that we can serve foster kids. I'd love to hear your suggestions. Also, you can leave us some stories. If you have a story or something you'd like to share, something that we can play on the podcast episode, give us a call at 413-Foster3. Again, that's 413-367-8373. And let us know if you have any ideas. Foster Foster Care Nation. Nation. Listen Listen up. up. This is Foster Care. And I'm Parade. strength for the powerless courage for the fearful hope and healing for wounded hearts Welcome back to Foster Care, An Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Cheryl Williams with us. So, Cheryl, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Thanks
2: for having me on. How are you two?
0: We are doing great as well. So, I, I was looking at your story. I was looking at your website. And by the way, if you want to find some of what Cheryl does, you can find it at fundfc.org. So, fund foster care, I'm assuming is what the FC stands for, .org. It's a part of her 501c3 organization. And that is kind of amazing how far you've come in helping kids and helping foster care, especially once we we dive into your story. Can you tell us just a little bit about how you got involved in the foster care system?
2: Yeah, I started really young. Foster care has unfortunately always been a part of my family story since I was young. Maybe even one of my first memories, I called 911 because I saw my sister being abused. Uh, My mom just had her held up against a wall, cursing at her, and I shared a room with my sister, and I knew how sad she could be, like, why don't mom and dad love me, and at the time, I was the youngest of four kids, and she was the oldest, and so she was six years older than me. I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew she was being abused, and I was not at the time, for sure, so she, I didn't want to run away with her. I just wanted her to be safe. And so I remember helping her run away and being really private about it, kind of covering up, you know, that spot on the bed. So nobody would know she was gone for a while. And, um, and she would run away to a church friend that really treated her like family for a while. And so um, I always thought about her. And then when she left, and she was in foster care, I would constantly be pulled out of school, first grade through third grade, especially when we lived in Pennsylvania. She was in foster care in the Pennsylvania foster care system. And so the counselor would pull me out and be like, is your dad touching you inappropriately? Is everything going on? You know, at home, okay. And I later found out it was because my sister was constantly concerned about me that when she was gone... It is very typical of abuse families. Only pick on one kid at a time, so the other kids are like, "Oh, my parents aren't abusive at all." But you know, if you pick on all your kids, you know, you're more likely to go to jail. But if you pick on one at a time and you make that one person out to be like, "This is absurd," they're a liar, they're rebellious. You really can get away with being abusive. So that was kind of my family story. Is once my sister was in foster care, the abuse started. I was about seven years old and. It was all kinds of abuse that occurred. I'd be cooking for the family. I had a lot of chores from the time she left, I and mean, I was cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for my family. And I was kind of a latchkey kid, often left out of the house. Nobody was home to to watch out for me, but. You know what I was really proud of is that even after my sister leaving and I cried myself to sleep every night, I was a straight A student, but that was kind of my way of dealing with it, is that I immersed myself in books. I immersed myself in like I just didn't want to go into the foster care system because my dad would tell me these horrible stories, like your sister's being raped every single day, and oh, I just I didn't even know she was alive. I didn't get to see her anymore. So, yeah, I got exposed the foster care system that way. There were court hearings when my sister went into foster care, and I was asked to possibly testify against my parents or my sister, whatever I thought. And I was really torn. Like they fought. I don't really know what was going on. I just knew my sister, she wasn't happy or feeling safe. Um, My dad had had a gun, and you know, she woke up in the middle of the night, like there was a gun right there to her head (laughs) it's pretty scary and I had those experiences too when I was a teenager at home so I really could vouch for her story being exactly like mine but it wasn't until I was a teenager myself that the abuse got really bad my dad moved me to Alabama like Chicago was our hometown I was born there we were all born there um, but he moved us to different states. So when he moved me to Alabama, my brothers were still teenagers, but he didn't allow them to come with, to which was really weird. Like he just left them in one of his um, apartment complexes that he managed. And so one was a senior in high school, and the other one was like a freshman sophomore in college. But they were both under nineteen, and. <clears throat> Yeah. So I was alone as a 15 year old girl in Alabama. I didn't know anybody, didn't know the culture. And the abuse was just very intense. Once it was just me and my parents there, my dad had a job that was his excuse for moving us there. And he lost it within a month and just nothing but abuse me. And I was a very lost, troubled teen, <laughs> pretty angry, frankly. And I just like, I kind of always had a heart for kids. Like, I always listened to what my peers had said. Like, I didn't like when my friends were like, nobody takes me seriously as a kid. I can't do what I want. Like, I always feel like I just was made to be a child advocate, that I've always seen the kids' point of view in things and been kind of weary of adults because that was my experience with nearly all adults. I've known some corrupt adults. and But the kids always just seemed like innocent and ambitious. And and I've always wanted to support kids. So because of my experiences, I'm sure it made me that way. But when I went into foster care, it wasn't really my story that made me this passionate child advocate. It was hundreds, if not thousands of kids I lived with from babies. This one baby was Thrown out of a window, all bones broken, pretty much, and because she was crying as a baby. Like heaven forbid she cry, and so her dad was in jail for that. But it was just really sad, you know. It made me really angry. Her mom would stop by and just act like nothing happened, like oh my baby, you know, and be all happy. And it's like I had to listen to these. Well, this baby was fed through a feeding tube. And she did eventually die in foster care. So, I mean, just sob. There's so many stories. And I lived in a group home with all teens. And their stories probably affected me more than anybody of just how many of us get into foster care, whether they're special needs and their parents didn't want them or couldn't afford to take care of them with their special needs or the kids that were born into foster care and then had babies into foster care and I took care of this one lady's baby I didn't even know it was hers I got moved seven times in the one year I was in foster care as a teen before I got emancipated early and the reason I got emancipated early that means um, like I'm not a ward of the state anymore was because I was trying to have a job (laughs) and I actually had three jobs but every single time I was working extra hours as a teen I needed my social worker to sign off on and my social worker was extremely busy with all these caseloads and just didn't have time for it so I waited a couple of months of my life just to be able to work and there's so much red tape and so I mean just that I had these front seat experiences of the foster care system really made me I think about as passionate as, uh, child advocate, it's not really foster care advocate because you know, I'm not like supportive of the system. And I'd be fine with abolishing the system if we had a a much safer system, but it it is just completely seeing the children's perspective from birth, even like these kids that like you, you said, right before we started recording, you have a baby right there that was born addicted to drugs. That is so common among babies in foster care. And they have to combat delays because somebody didn't look after it, like try to protect them from delays, you know, in, it starts in pregnancy. And so my early childhood degree and human development classes really just showed me like, you know, just to be loving. It's as a parent starts in pregnancy and then every stage just respecting children's development that we're all like in progress but children are not just little mini adults you know that they we're all in progress and just recognizing what they're already able to do and building from there one step at a time there's no there's no rush on development and we all do things at our own pace and we all have our very special intelligences so I'm also really an advocate of those with special needs like try to find love like I am really against finding a cure for autism. I have a boy with autism. You really wouldn't know it because if you just nurture somebody's individual development and you're really patient he didn't start talking. until he was like seven or eight. He was my little monkey. <laughs> I just wanted to be a monkey, but he just refused to talk, you know, and he would throw temper tantrums and not make eye contact and But one day he started talking a bit and what a happy day that was. But you just have to, you just have to recognize that, you know, he had gifts. You really couldn't see him until he started talking because he's gifted in math and science for sure. He's just like a little um, savant genius in those ways, but he just seemed delayed when he was in pre-K, especially with absolutely no speech and, So just really nurturing and seeing the best in your kids. Like every kid I really believe can be successful in their own ways. You know, like Beethoven likely had autism. That's what my son says. I just take his word for it. He's always full of facts. But, you know, that just parents really need to love their kids like with a forever love I understand it can get so hard it can get expensive it can get intense like if you've ever had your kids taken away or really hanging in there with all that you need to do to get your kids back but I just love love and especially parental love I think that can be the strongest out there and it's discouraging when I see parents who have really bad attitudes towards their kids like your kids were not asked to come into this world it's the least you can do to take care of them, really. I know you don't get like a cookie if you're a good parent or anything, but I mean, just to have that motherly or fatherly type of love, like I want every advantage possible for my kids, I want them to succeed, is what I, I do think we need to have as, as human beings to care for our own young and just do what it takes to, to keep your kids.
0: Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nation. Now back to the show. You know... Cheryl, as I listen to you talk, it's really obvious that you have a passion for kids. And, and your story tells me why. You know, it's you came from a place where, where not only were you in that system, but you were in that system with a lot of other kids and heard a lot of other kids' stories. And you know the damage that can be done there. And as much as I, I would love to be able to abolish a foster care system because we didn't need it anymore, unfortunately, there's not a better alternative that I have found yet for most kids. And unfortunately, even more so, there's going to be some, some portion of the foster care system who are going to be people who don't do it for the right reason, who have some sort of ulterior motive, or maybe they have good motives and just don't have the right coping skills. And, and you know that some of the things that you deal with with some of these kids can be really difficult and hard. And And so just from the foster parent experience side of it, some of this is really hard and most all of it is very 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 much worth it in the long run but to have that view of the kid who's been through some hard times who's spent time talking with kids who's been through those hard times what do you think is is the best thing that that just the average person can do to try and help that system maybe turn out a better person
2: that's a great question and Really, my simple answer to that is just empathy that so many people come from it of this place of like charity that I want to do something for underprivileged kids when really my superpower is just understanding the needs and not everybody's needs are exactly the same but just listening, paying attention to what the kid is actually saying that they need. <laughs> you know, they're going to be the best advocate of just if you meet the kids' needs, you are a wonderful child advocate. You're benefiting their lives. And of course, parenting, there's a difference between what they want and what they need. But really listening to what they need is how to benefit their lives. So there's a lot of ways, fortunately, that we can make a difference in their life. I have like 300 causes that I try to support, which it's hard for me to narrow it down because there's a lot of things people can do. You can fundraise for scholarships for these kids to help pay for their expenses when they're aging out. You can foster, you can adopt. If you foster or adopt, I just really ask that you come at it from a place of, I, mean, I feel like a lot of people have fear, you know, because you don't know this kid. You don't know how it's going to change your life. But come at it from a place of love, of just being open-hearted and being very understanding that to me it makes the most sense. Like if I'm taking in a kid, I'm actually expecting them to test me. I'm expecting them to have maximum trust issues I'm expecting them to push me and be like, you don't really love me. You know, you're just maybe in and for the money or something like that. I'm expecting that because I understand the way it felt. <laughs> I know, you know, there are some people that do it for the money and some kids have these experiences. So they're biased against you when they come into your home. But really just being a genuine, authentic person, it's like, I'm not doing it even for like a higher place in heaven that I think I'll have or like recognition from my peers, but I am doing it. Because I love you, that I truly see you as a kid, my kid. You know, I want the best for you so badly that I mean, I'll work hard to meet your needs. I'll work hard to earn your trust that I love you unconditionally. It's really what these kids need. So, whatever your motives are, I mean, I just think before you do it, just make sure the difference between being a bad foster parent and a good foster parent. Is just motives to me. Just if you really come at it with good intentions of I have a wonderful opportunity to purely love a child and change their life for the better by mentoring them, by being like a school counselor type of listening to what their dreams are and helping to make that happen. You can do amazing miracles in these kids' lives. But yeah, I mean, you don't really make much money anyways from foster care. A lot of us that are in in foster care types of circles know that that that's just really a bad rap that can go on. Some do try, but I mean, I think they learn pretty quickly. There's a lot easier ways to make money than foster care, but still, yeah, just come in it like a parent, you know, just like you would your own kids. And I personally believe like if you're not in it to keep these kids possibly forever, I mean, but also be willing to give them up if they do go back to their biological parents, like probably just shouldn't do it because you just have to have a heart for it's not all about my feelings it's not all about what i get from it it's about doing what's in the best interest for these kids fighting for the best interest of them being willing to march into a cps building and say you know what you're forgetting this kid this is not an invisible kid this is a kid i love very dearly and this is what they need and being the eyes and ears for these children is what we need we need plenty more advocates you just one kid at a time is plenty if everybody could just take in one kid or adopt them and just love them unconditionally with this fierce love that doesn't give up on them that believes in them even though a lot of these kids don't know what they want to do a lot of them feel worthless inside and so I started my nonprofit because of those feelings of you know I even knew I was smart I skipped a grade when I was younger but trauma really just seemed to permanently affect my brain. And it's the most frustrating thing that I'm still delving deeper into how to truly repair the brain of like all trauma so that you're just like, you know, your peers that have well-functioning brains, but it's just about self-esteem. And if you do charity work, it's hard not to feel like a charity case, you know, like when I was a kid, there were, there was a church to fundraise for me, but they gave me dollar store stuff. And there wasn't stuff that was personalized for me. And I felt like a charity case. I felt like it did more harm than good, but with the nonprofit that I started, it was their only personalized gifts that I hand pick out myself because I really enjoy that. And with just Empowering notes of just we are cheering for your success. You keep on building, you keep on loving arts and crafts. Like, we're so proud of you. Keep going. I mean, just things that are just little reminders like, somebody cared enough to even put in a referral for you. And then we're happy to just keep supporting you, keep sending out stuff until you find your self esteem. These kids, you know, you have to empower them. They cannot, you cannot just do things for them and help them. The the best way to help them is just. You know, help them have their self-confidence, help them find their skill sets, help them find ways that they're loving, help them find causes that they care about and help them get involved in volunteering themselves. Like once I started volunteering, I had a completely different way of thinking that I'm not this evil person that I always thought I was. My parents told me so or something and that I really could have a powerful voice in doing good in this world. It's very empowering.
0: Cheryl, I got to know. What was it for you? Because you talk about that that need for kids to understand that they are enough and to realize that they can be successful. What was that moment for you where you finally turned that corner and decided, I can do something good for others?
2: That is a great question. I'm a very spiritual person, not religious, but spiritual. And it actually just started from a pure Point of loving God. I, God got me through a lot of my hard moments. And so God prepared me for volunteer before I started volunteering that I needed to have uh, a solid base. Um, I think there's a lot of codependence that goes on among volunteers where you are doing it for things like you need if you're needy, you know, but God really prepared me for just doing things for just being present in the moment. I started off with the people who had terminal illness that are dying. So it was a very emotional experience. But you know, it didn't hit as home, close to home as foster care. So it was easier for me to do in a lot of ways than foster care advocacy. And um, I I just being there with somebody and actually having them tell me that it makes such a difference. Me just being there because I felt really worthless. <laughs> I felt super worthless. Like I can't do anything. I don't have any skills and not even a good volunteer, but that they really liked me. They just liked me around. They thought I was high energy. I kind of perked them up. That's like, it, it really, there's no substitute from really seeing with your own eyes, like the impact you're making on people's lives. So that's the only thing that really gives me energy that really empowers me is like, I just feel like I was made to be a caring person and truly show truly show the love of God. The love of God doesn't mean like, oh, I want to be highest in heaven. (laughs) I feel like the love of God has always been to me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to be better than anybody else. God created all of us. And I feel like he loves us all, or he wouldn't have made us so unique and special in our own ways. And He just created me to be like truly one other people's success, sometimes even more than my own. (laughs) That's really how I've gotten in trouble sometimes in life. It's just, I lift people up and then they feel like God. And then they just, Um, put me down. And I'm like, Oh, wow, I'm back where I started. And it hurts every time. But I mean, it's just their problem. (laughs) People, people aren't perfect and stuff. But I have had a lot of really um, a lot of encouragement, but I do feel like I've actually truly made an impact in quite a few people's lives. It's only from my example. It's just how all the good I found to do and that a lot of people want to and they get into that themselves. It's just it's a wonderful way to spend your life is just making a positive impact in this world.
0: You know, Shell, you mentioned um you, you mentioned the spirituality piece as opposed to maybe religion. And and I, I totally understand what you're saying there. But one of the things that, that you also touched on on that line is that we all have a purpose. Like if God made this world and he made me and he put me in this time and place. I feel like there's a reason I'm here and I need to get about the business of figuring that out and finding that purpose and living that purpose out to the best of my ability. And it sounds like that's what you're doing is, is living out that purpose that you found.
2: Yeah, actually I forgot really the moments where I went from what was me um this little foster girl that's been abused all over life and, to being empowered was I did have a foster mom like I was never adopted but she set quite the role model she had been in foster care since she was like six and then she'd been in soup, soap operas and was a runway model and she was just this glamorous celebrity to me and kind of took me under a wing she wasn't licensed for teens but you know when I really needed her I could call her and she was an advocate so she was um really just I thought she was she was funny. She could make friends with anybody. She could tell her story with boldness. She had every skill imaginable. And I wanted to be just like her, but I never felt a thing like her because again, I felt worthless and powerless. And when she came to visit me and said, I have terminal cancer, it's like a part of me died. I mean, I had always seen her as my soul mama and just imagining her light being gone from this world. I was like, no, this can't be. Um, and she's a miracle worker. So even she's lost her memory. I guess it's the cancer and all the trauma from her life, it kind of took her memories away. But she's, she's a really interesting person still. She's survived like more than 10 years past what doctors thought. So I was warning her as dead like 10 years ago. But I just was like, I have super big shoes to fill that, I mean, I knew I wasn't really like her, but I was like, when she came to visit, she just showed me like anything you can do, like just donate your things to, you know, local, I guess she was saying Goodwill, but because she had said that it was like, I researched stuff. I found Veterans Connection and I made friends with the wonderful gal that ran that here in Round Rock and um just that's where I would donate all my things to and I started advocating for veterans and stuff but just it was her example when she's around like my spirit is so on fire just like she has the greatest energy of anybody and I still don't feel like I can really replace her shoes but luckily she's still around she's just this very genuine um amazing woman so that was the difference in which I just felt like it would be a crying shame to lose her example like I had to just I guess pay it forward is how you you'd put it
1: that's really awesome you've done so many wonderful things you know and you've come from so far you know you're not that little girl anymore you're a beautiful woman but what's next do you have any other plans
2: Yeah, there's a lot of exciting things coming up for me. I'm doing the social ambassador program. I got invited by Ms. Social Ambassador 2021 to run so that I have a platform for foster kids. So that's coming up in January. Is
0: that Jamerica Haynes? Yes we've talked with her. her before yes we have talked to her i, I was yeah. you said that i was like hang on i know this i know this i don't know much about beauty pageants trust me but i know a little bit about that one
2: yeah exactly i really have tried to stay away from beauty pageants. i don't really like them but she is just this glowing example i'm like are your teeth real i've asked her all these awkward questions she's like yes they are i just take care of them I'm like no when you're in foster care you know, I have a couple of tips down there from when I fell off a lat. I mean, you, there's like abuse and neglect. Your teeth are the first to show it. And I mean, this, she truly, that's her real teeth. <laughs> I'm just like She was just made to be this glowing example of what a foster kid can become in this world. I love her to pieces. So I was like, yeah, following in her shoes would be wonderful and honor for, for me. So I could win that. And then I'd have a platform there and then also one day before i got invited to go see i don't i don't even watch tv so this is embarrassing but it's like emmy's is emmy's coming up in january the end of january um or is it (laughs) (laughs) Grammys? what are those award shows (laughs) So anyways, I know it's the most awkward thing because I get invited to talk to celebrities about what they can do to help foster kids. And I don't even know who they are most of the time. But anyways, the point is that I know who foster kids are. So there's just this divide between celebrity and influencer lifestyles and foster kid lifestyles. And so I love the opportunity to just meet whoever I'm invited to speak to. And I'm more of a one-on-one person. And just try to get them to what I'm going to ask them to do is mentor foster kids. I'm setting up a mentoring system for, for celebrities and CEOs to mentor foster kids and really find the right placements, because like I've been sending out steam toys to over a thousand kids now. And so I have their contact information or at least foster parents' contact information. For a ton of places, <laughs> and so I, I just thought that that would be a great way to just kind of show them, like you know, I used to feel like this invisible kid, but like that one mentor, she didn't even adopt me. Um, I still had issues with her. I was like, "You don't love me like your biological kids." She really didn't. It doesn't matter, you know. You can be yourself, and I think everybody has their own light. And she really made an impact on my lives, and celebrities, and really anybody can for foster kids too. But those that are influencers, you know, they have tons of people following them, and. So they have a wonderful rare opportunity to help them in a special way too. But I like to get anybody involved (laughs) when people reach out to me and say, you know, how, how can I help? And I guess it's the same way a foster kid's like, let's find your skill sets and then see what you can teach foster kids. If you're great with money, you know, you can mentor foster kids in money. If you have business skills, if you're good at marketing and branding, you can help these kids. I mean, there's just, or you could help nonprofits grow. I mean. You can fundraise. There's just so many people that can help in their own ways, and they are. It's very exciting. That's what I get empowered of. Like, you know, it takes a whole village, and and it's just great that like people like you have a podcast that they can proclaim this, and it reaches so many more thousands of people, and it keeps going on even after we're gone. You know, and it's just spreading the word.
0: Yeah, I and mean, our I- legacy. In such a digital world, it's amazing how much how much one person can learn and do and accomplish just because of, you know, the, the amazing opportunities available through the internet, through, you know, this, yes, COVID has been a horrible thing for lots of people. But it's also presented a lot of opportunities in the way it's connected people virtually and made that such a natural thing to where, you know… It, you could get on here and interview anybody you could talk to anybody you can have a conversation on Zoom with a free account and talk to amazing people and really all you need is an internet connection to do it and you can you can affect so many lives by that and change kids who and, and here's here's one of the things that I always tend to preach on just a little bit is that the kids that if this little girl right here if we can change her life right 20 years from now. That's a 20-year that's a difference. And however that changes her life, if we choose to change her life as for the better as much as we can, that will change her children's lives and probably their children's lives. And 100 years from today, this world will be a different place because I am here, because of what I do today. And it's a way of just building that, that legacy out over 100 years from now. And if we could all just have that mentality and the things that we do, as opposed to, and don't get me wrong, I'm not mad at sports. For all the all the crazy sports guys out there, I'm not a sports guy, you know. But sitting and watching football all the time and drinking beer and having no other positive impact in your world doesn't really change your world, not at all. Not at least not for the good. It may for the neglect that may happen in your family if you're not careful. But if you, che- if every one of us could just find one way to try and make that change a hundred years from today what a different world we would live in, in just five years.
1: Yep.
2: I mean, it can be really tempting to be comfortable. I had a really good deal. Like my first marriage, he just wanted to take care of me and make sure nobody hurt me. But I just felt it in like my soul that I cared about foster kids. I couldn't just shut it off. And I, you know, just getting out of my comfort zone and getting out there, you know, it just, It's scary, perhaps, but it's adventurous, and it's so much more fun, I think, than even if you can have a situation where you're completely taken care of, and you're loved, like, that's so boring, you know? I just hated that story of, like, the princess. The princess stories are the worst, like, you know, you get married, you live happily ever after. I mean, I think happy relationships are a wonderful thing, but they're not, like, the end all of, you know, everything that, to me, it's like building family and community and just getting out there and being bold and being yourself. Like, It's a much greater way to be. So, I mean, even people that have these tremendous blessings, they have this wonderful family. That's great. You have an even greater support system to help these kids with. If you're friends with your neighbors and you have a great supportive spouse, it, it tests a little bit, but you have so much greater of a protagonist story <laughs> behind you and you'll really feel proud of yourself <laughs> just go for it
0: yeah you know you see so many stories where people who win the lottery end up broken and and bankrupt just a few years short years later and i look at that and go it's that I'm sorry, but these are people who do not have a purpose in their life a lot of times. And it's it's obvious because you can see where, where they spend all their energy and money in. And so, God, if you're listening, um, if we were to win that 200-something million dollar Powerball right now, we could put it to good use. We could put it to good use. <laughs> but But that's the thing is so many people don't have that purpose in their life. They don't have that power. And unfortunately, so many people have a hard time finding their purpose and their power without having – been through some level of pain to find it and I find that that pain is what taught me
2: honest I have found like rich investors who do want to help these kids it's really just finding where to direct them to use their money that it's actually really exciting to me that that's why I need more people even with ideas of how do you think we should best help these kids like I see that we could support them with adoption for one, but, you know, not everybody that has money wants to adopt, you know, they want to still travel and stuff. But I mean, it's like paying for their laptops or cars so they can find a job or, you know, with their time, they can mentor. But like, that's what I really want to connect is like, I think if these people can just see these kids and get to know them and hear their needs themselves, then, you know, I can fundraise for more specific of this is exactly what they need to reach their goals so you know let's raise a couple thousand for for this kid but just helping anybody from foster care get on their feet and really any age because you know I found myself a divorced woman he divorced me not you know I guess I was just too much for him with all my dreams of needing to get out there he he would have loved me to death and I was just a kept woman for life but that just couldn't be me so I had you know recordable differences personality to him but anyhow <laughs> I lost my train of thought because that was stressful. Oh yeah I was the divorced woman practically homeless. I hadn't had a job. He didn't want me to work for over 10 years. So yeah you know, it was like it can be tough at any age if you didn't ever have that family support. You don't have anybody that has money nobody will take you in. Nobody really knows you. It's scary at any age. So, I really have a passion for foster care alumni too. Just the, the suffering doesn't ever end. You know, you probably still have some of that same family alive that still treats you exactly the same way. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to help foster kids or alumni. And I really like to just jump into all of them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people can focus and have a specialty and help a lot of lives in whatever way they feel called to.
0: Yeah, I have a friend of mine, John Williams. He runs an organization called um, A Life That Counts, or Life That Counts. I think it's just Life That Counts. There's no way at the beginning of it. He has a podcast as well. I think he did. I don't know if it's st- if he's still active with that or not. But John talks to. He's got a TED Talk out there. But he goes out and talks to kids in high schools, and and really, you know, he's always speaking to the kids with trauma in the crowd because I know him personally. I know his personal backstory, and I know that. I know the trauma he experienced as a kid and what he went through as a kid. And that has that has turned into his passion for life to go out and help those kids who need that. And I think number one, the thing that needs to be discussed in this space is, is more not only knowledge, but but disseminating that knowledge that we have about trauma and how much it changes kids and how it affects them and how we can effectively work through their trauma. Because when we started this, what, 12, 13 years ago yeah how much did we know about trauma
1: um we knew about our own personal trauma
0: I, I don't but think we
1: didn't even call it trauma it wasn't it wasn't addressed as trauma then you yeah. know it, it was hidden yeah it we was the stuff talk we didn't about ta-
0: yeah we didn't talk about
1: <laughs> you know because your grand your your parents didn't talk about it they didn't go see a therapist they didn't take medication no you just suck it up and you go and that's what you did you know but I know from personal experience my childhood was not a dream childhood
0: it was a dream just not
1: (laughs) it wasn't my dream nightmare (laughs) it wasn't wasn't many others dreams either and i fell through the cracks of a system that did not catch me i did not have anyone i didn't get put in foster care i didn't get rescued i was not a princess you know and so jason's right when when he says we take our pain and we do something with it And, and if you don't You're not finding your purpose. You know, I knew from the time I was a little bitty girl at five years old, taking care of my first sibling, changing diapers and him sleeping in bed with me and me taking care of an infant at five years old. I knew I was going to be a mother and I was going to be a mother of many. I could only birth two, but I have almost eight children right now and I'll probably continue forever and ever, you know, but you you take what you have and you work with it and you expand and that's really what you're doing, and everybody can do something.
2: Yeah, I, that's why I'm so glad you're here too, because I heard your story, and it was so powerful. I just wanted you to know that that you sharing your story. I mean, it brought me to tears, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. People need to hear you know your heart for how you got into it, and that you really, you really care, you know. And um, again, not all foster parents are like that. We need so many more like you, you know, just high quality people that that truly care. But there are some out there and I'm so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful for your voice that you're willing to put that on display because people really need to see that good example.
0: Yeah, I, I'll be careful with the with calling it high quality people because <laughs> so many people with an experience like ours do not consider it high quality you know, we're all broken goods. We're all broken goods. It's just the people who who have been broken who are willing to to try and help help seal up some of those fissures in the souls of others. And it's you well, we don't feel you like the high Bible quality.
2: verse that God binds up the brokenhearted. I had a Christian counselor who told me that when I was younger and he said, you know, the word binds up in the Hebrew or whatever, <laughs> I don't a Bible sliver said that doesn't actually mean like like sew it or whatever we might think. It's like as if it was never broken though. And I really am a believer in I mean, yes, we're all flawed. We're all sinful. Like nobody's perfect or whatever is my belief. But it's like it's still is that like we are we are like gods you know we all have a powerful story we all have like this miraculous lung oxygen (laughs) breathing into us and and we're more powerful than we realize here and the brokenness is how you help heal people to just share the brokenness and then help share like what has helped in your healing journey is that you can go on to heal so many there, you really can be completely healed from all trauma. It's not easy. You know, you have to be like a brain scientist. I had, I had a different patient counselor told me that as an adult, like, it's not going to be easy for you. You're going to have to master your brain more than any neural surgeon. I mean, but you really can, if you understand the way the cells are, I mean, you really, it, it's like to simplify it like gratitude and appreciation can help heal you, but it's really hard to do that when everybody has treated you wrong <laughs> you know when you're, when you're like homeless on the streets didn't really do anything at all to ever deserve that try to be a model citizen you're over there sharing stories with a homeless person and I'm like you know what happened to you? I mean you can be angry, you know and that's not gonna heal the brain. so it's just really finding positive experiences in your life like actively seeking them out actively seeking out who you want to be visualizing it like you just have to aim for I can be completely healed you know I'm not just going to live some half-hearted life of being broken I mean admit you know I make mistakes and stuff it used to be human but I just I'm really against any kind of social stigma foster kid, or alumni or anybody who's independent at young age or just so broken because hurting people do hurt people but you really can't heal yourself in every way if you're just open to it
0: yeah that i've heard that line hurt people hurt people and i, I don't deny that a bit but i think the other side of that is that healed people help others to heal and that's that's the choice that you have to make and it's it's a hard choice because it really, let's, let's just be honest, when, once you've been hurt, it's, it's really easy to just hurt others and keep everything at, at arm's length. But to do the hard work, to, to find the healing in yourself, and then to bring others along your journey, to heal alongside of you, to create that environment where you're not seeking out the broken things to be angry about, but to seek out the, the places where you can help others heal, that's a life worth living. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com groups slash UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show.
2: Yeah, and I love that you guys are together and all lovey dovey. I'm in a relationship, but I've heard so many people say like they never got to point of healing to ever have a romantic relationship. Even and it's so sad. It's like I'm glad that I mean it shows that you guys have this long term relationship, and it is trying on any family to have young kids, let alone young kids that aren't yours and stuff. That you guys are united in this, and even finding time to do these podcasts. You all are serious and miracle workers. So I mean, we need. I need to. Which places and interview you next time. It's need to get the story out of you. Like I'm interested in what filled in those gaps of brokenness. Like how did you get from where you started off in life to this amazing power couple that you are? That's what I consider a power couple, like together changing lives. It, it's a very happy love story.
1: You know, it's it's been a journey. It was a journey that i I didn't think I deserved, you know, it took me a really long time to uh, believe that 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 was what we had, you know. And and the thing is, oh, thank you, Mrs. Little One just burped for us all. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the thing is, is me and Jason, we have been through so much as a couple, you know, and the biggest thing is we just keep talking to each other we never stop talking to each other when things get hard you can't uh you can't push out the one that loves you or you will be alone eventually you know but we have been through so much we've had almost 30 children come through our home we lost our daughter you know to an to almost an incurable disease you know our family has been through hell and back but we just keep talking <laughs>
0: You know, I think part of part of the magic of our story has also been that, you know, I mean, she'll tell her story pretty openly, and you know, she grew up in, in a place that was had a lot of, of drug abuse and a lot of other horrible things happen, and what the world would consider maybe the outlaw side of things, a lot of crime. I came from from a family full of police officers. That that's my background. She came from a family that had, I mean, they went to church on Christmas and Easter religiously every year whether they needed it or not and that was it we grew up in a church it was a much more fundamentalist group and you were there three times a week and and i learned i learned some some unfortunate messaging from that experience in in my, the church that i grew up in and since we have such polar different um experiences on all those aspects i think some of the places where i was truly broken and needed needed some healing and some of the places where she was broken and needed some real healing, we both came from such an opposite experience that we, through that communication that Amanda was talking about, we were able to kind of, kind of push experiences, you know, our experiences together and maybe help the other one to see a different viewpoint that's possible and to begin some of that healing process. And it took me years to learn. You know, I used to always say that. Yeah, you know, because Amanda does not have a, a relationship with her father at all. She's only, her, her biological father, she's only met him a couple of times in her life. And I used to always say, you know, yeah, it's it's my job to heal the sins of the father. You know, that that's the husband's job. And it wasn't until later that I realized it's not my job to heal her sins or he, heal his sins and heal the brokenness in her. My job is just to create an environment where that's possible. And for her, the same thing is we learn to, to step into one another's brokenness and be open and vulnerable and have that safe relationship together so that we could begin to heal in our own spaces. And that's been, that's been really the secret sauce for us still being together after all. You know, Amanda, she mentioned about half the traumas that, that I could come up with off the top of my head that we've been through. But yeah, the, the things we've been through, because we could sit shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and not fight with one another. But you know, the hardship has made us stand together as a team, us against the world, as opposed to us fighting each other. And that mentality right there allows us to really work on each other together so that we can we can overcome whatever may come in front of us. So we're going to, I don't care who you are, what you're going to bring us, we're going to defeat you because we have the power of one another and our experience and our, our history and our pain that we've been able to draw on and you can't overcome that.
2: Yeah. I think more people just need that kind of community. It can be powerful if you use it to unite one another, but there, there is a lot of brokenness a lot of times. And, you know, like alumni coming together, you know, I think there is a lot of anger, you know, just towards the system in general and, and you know, people not even being able to get along sometimes in the foster care community. But yeah, I just love that that story when you can use that hurt to bring bring each other together and work towards we have the same exact goal we want people to hurt less you know we want to we want to change the world for the better and that it's more loving place and accepting place and and yeah that's exactly what I seek is like just that family kind of community of people who really love foster kids just people don't even have to like me. I just, like, I love you so much. If you're just making a difference in these kids' lives, if you have something that you're willing to say publicly to help people to pay attention to this cause, this is a very important cause. It's not, you know, there's so many great causes, you know, I, again, I've been a part of those, but this is, you know, I think the most important cause of our time. I think that, churches you need to unite no matter what you believe you know I have friends that are Jewish satanic you know all all walks of life I mean really as long as you're loving our kids I just think we all should just unite in supporting foster kids to just find their voice find their self-esteem yeah I'm just biased against people who do not truly have love in their hearts there are there are people that do it for vanity, you know, and it's kind of making me sick. Like I've really been trying to separate myself from those people that just seem a little too perfect, you know, because I guess maybe I just like broken people, if you want to put it like that, like people who are honest about it and use their story to heal people are not broken to me. Those are just the most authentic people out there. They're so lovable. But when people need to be like perfect and holier than thou and like, you know, prettier and richer than everybody else on the planet. It's like, how are they going to help foster kids? Like, they're just always going to want them to be below them. They're always going to want them to be like, oh, they're just a charity case to me. As soon as they start rising above that, we're just going to do the social stigma of y'all are hurting and we just felt sorry for you and throw them under the bus. I mean, it's just there's there are people that are just motivated by bad motives and even if they're doing wonderful things, it's like a part of me wants to be like, well, they're caring about this cause at least. But another part of me is like, you know, we need to just get the the corrupt people. I don't care what they believe. If they're doing it out of, you know, selfish ambition or vanity, like just get out. (laughs) Don't do work on veterans or something else. Like, we don't need your charity case work.
0: Hey, as a veteran myself, we don't want them over there either. <laughs> and, and it, that all goes back to that purpose. I think not. Not everybody's wired to do this. I know. I know you. Know, and I've told the caseworkers in our area before. You know, our um, our, our place in life involves addicted children, especially newborns. Give me an addicted baby, and I, I, I that's that's the world. I, I'm good there. I, I'm not scared of that. And a lot of people can't handle that. The, the constant crying that comes from that. you know Some people can't handle that. And if you're not wired for that, my God, please do not step into that arena. If, you're not, if God did not put you on this earth for that reason, if you don't know God put you here for that, do not do it. We don't want you in that space. But what we do want you to do is go out and figure out what it is that you are wired to do. If God put you here on this earth, in this time, you have a purpose. Go find it and chase it with everything you have. Figure out what it is that sets your soul on fire, and then go chase it. Make the world a different place, and, and that's that's kind of what I, what I see in, in this in this whole area is. Yeah, a lot of people you might not be you might not be inspired to help foster kids, and if that's if that's you, that's fine. I'm not mad at you as long as you're doing something to make the world a better place. Because you know I, I find the foster kid story really important. I also happen to know that that all these kids we're either going to help them now. You know little baby girl over here who's kind of fussing and and all that we're going to either help her now somebody's going to help her now in this point in her life or we're going to deal with her later 20 years from now when she enters the 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 justice system because the statistics are horrible for kids who age out of care without any real connection so we can do it today or we can do it in 20 years and 20 years from now it's going to be a lot more of a mess to deal with so i would rather take the screaming baby all day every day then have to watch more young women end up become mamas whose kids go into foster care themselves and mom ends up in in prison for something ridiculous and just repeating that cycle. So that's that's really part of our mission is just breaking that cycle so that more moms don't create more kids who don't have that connection that they want.
2: Well, I wanted to encourage you guys that I had a foster sister who was raised by that foster mom I was talking about. And she was born addicted to all kinds of drugs. And she was told like she would never speak or at least she'd have a serious speaking delay. And when I met her at three years old, she just pointed at me like she wanted to play with me. She couldn't speak. And she she was a little beauty pageant queen. She learned to speak, not to speak, but she has a talent for writing and music and singing now. And I mean, really, truly... I don't even know if she knew that she was born addicted to drugs. It's just he, really the the power of being a loving parent, like treating a kid as if they're your own young and being a just a really amazing parent in general. You can you can rise above nearly anything. I mean, you guys are doing a wonderful thing there. And it's you know, if you get lucky enough to adopt her one day and then just, you know, nurture her, her talents, like I don't really believe that she'll probably have delays. If if someone has a loving parent behind them, they're going to be more advanced than their peers. They have an advantage. And so, yeah, thank you guys for taking her in.
0: Oh, we, we are blessed to have her, honestly. We, we've we learned that lesson about kids because we have lots of kids. Actually, I think all the kids in our house right now have some sort of drug exposure in their early childhood or in utero, one of the two. And that's one thing we can say. Yeah, you know, our little our six year old. I'm gonna mm-hmm. tell you, most people would find him an extreme challenge. Because if you look ADHD up in the DSM, his picture is right there. Um but he is the most amazing little guy. And I it's taken a lot of years to learn this and a lot of people to teach me, but my job isn't to like take him to the doctor and get him labeled so we can give him some medication and make him neurotypical. That's not going to happen for him. He's not going to be neurotypical, but he's going to have some superpowers, and our job is to nurture that. You know, my uh, the six year old he has he has that. The eight year old he has some some superpowers in there as well, and I see those, and some of those are are totally different from the other other kids, and it's our job to nurture that. He can be the most loving little guy. At eight years old, he every day, I, I think, when he comes home from school, he wants mm-hmm. to take the baby and sit and hold the, you know, he wants a newborn baby so he can sit and hold her and, and love on her and feed her and take care of her. And, and you see that loving nature come out, and we just have to support that instead of worrying about whether or not all the benchmarks of of neurotypical development are being hit, because they're not gonna be hit for our kids they're not gonna hit those at the, the standard ages. They're gonna have some delays, but they're also gonna have some superpowers that come out of their own trauma. And if we can figure that out, figure out how to, how to meet these kids and find their superpower inside of their, their trauma, we can really help them grow in a way that no one else will be able to grow. They will be unique, one-of-a-kind kids. And that's, that's part of what I've learned on our journey, is that's our job, is to figure out how we can find that and nurture that for them.
2: Yeah, I agree fully. There was one thing I disagreed with you, but you said it a little while back of just, you said if you don't absolutely know you have a calling for this, that you don't think that they should be doing foster care work. And, you know, I just, I literally slept overnight at the CPS building and, you know, there's like homeless people walking in and out. It didn't feel safe and you just feel unloved because there is... You know, there is all these people um that they're calling that are rejecting you essentially like i know she's a teenager but you know she seems really sweet she doesn't seem like she'll harm anything and you just hear the no 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 click like over and over again and so i mean i i feel like almost anybody who would really care about these kids probably has some brokenness in them you know that made them want to care you know because I think if people are like really happy and succeeding, they don't want to look at the people that are struggling. But a lot of us know, you know, what it's like to really struggle and feel troubled that do this. And so and I had somebody tell me when I first started getting into foster care that I wasn't cut out for it, that I needed like a lifetime of counseling, you know, before I'd probably be able to help a kid. And it's probably you know, it was actually pretty true. I mean I I have done a lot of this out of a place of pain. I just didn't want others to feel pain like I did. And that led the way, but I just, if somebody is taking in a kid, nobody's perfect. You know, they're giving them a place to stay. They're at least accepting them. Even if they can't really find it in their heart to love these kids quite like their own kids, I personally am very grateful for them. I mean, if it comes from a place of knowing they're not perfect, but they don't want to just wait around until they feel like ready to take them in or a place where they're absolutely sure this is their life calling to do. I mean, everybody can do something right as they are. You know, we're all imperfect people. We're never going to be perfect. Just knowing you know, I think just recognizing where your flaws are is beautiful. You know, if you can accept that about yourself, you're in a wonderful position to accept the kid that's also going to be very flawed, very imperfect. So that's my two cents. It's just we still need a ton more homes. Just it's it's hard to take in kids temporarily and then give them back to their biological parents. It takes a special heart for that. And there's always going to be a shortage of people willing to do that.
0: Oh, I agree, I agree and and my my point really is that for the people who have thought about it who who feel like this might be something they need to look into, yes, for sure, look into that but if if it's if you've got the wrong motivation behind it, that's you're not the right people. If you're trying to do it for money, if your your finances are are having some trouble and you think we can make some money doing this, go away. I don't want the people trying to make money in here because you're going to further damage these kids. It's not unless you are somebody who wants to do this for the reason of helping kids, and other than that, we don't want you here. You know, if you if you're going to take a a newborn infant in because you think you can, you can have the case. I, I some states I forget uh, we talked with. I'm uh, Jen Lilly. She's an actress, and uh, she talked about being at um, out in, out in uh, California at a. Oh, some sort of a foster care, um, symposium. And there was somebody there, a woman she talked to who told her, Oh no, no, honey, you have to, you have to get them braided right this, you have to get them right that, and you can make all this money. And, you know, and thank God her, her reaction to the lady was, you need to step away before I smack you. I, I want to punch <laughs> you in the head right now. And those are the people who we absolutely do not want, because if, if you're working on, on finding ways to make more money and make it a, some sort of profitable venture, uh, i don't know i don't feel like you can say you're you're out there you know trying to have the best interest of kids at heart now if you can walk in and and think about the kids and worry about helping the kids through their trauma if that's something that you think you might be good at yeah go ahead let's give this a shot and you know join the system because we need more of that but we need more people who think that way and are willing to step into it are willing to act because people are afraid to act on this because it's scary Mm-hmm. if you might have to yeah, people, get back it's scary
2: yeah i had like you said seven placements in the year i was in foster care so i got a good assortment of i was in relative placements so i was in a group home i was in a couple of foster homes and i had one foster mom who was clearly in it for the money I mean, it was like indentured slavery and she wanted me to take care of all of her special needs kids that she got extra money for and she didn't care. She kind of neglected them and stuff. So I was the foster mom. Like there's those stories for sure. But there's also, I mean, the opposite end of it of my, that foster mom who changed my life. Like I didn't even stay with her for very long, but like she really cared at least on some level. She at least related. And my dad, my parents, they were very jealous. They didn't want anybody to adopt me, even though they gave up the parental rights right away. They just, at some level felt like I was still their daughter and they didn't want anybody to help me. They wanted me to be like homeless and just suffer or something, but they didn't want her to help me. And she really hung in there like a champion. I mean, it wasn't easy to love me for many reasons. I mean, I wasn't acting in the most lovable way. But she just treated me like a mother overall and didn't give up on me. But I mean, my parents tried to make her life a living hell. And I just know that to really stick through a kid with that comes from a really abusive family. um yeah, I mean, she really saw my side of it. She really thought the answer. Like she thought kids were precious. I really got that feeling like even though she's admitted she, you know, biological kids are, are different. She was only allowed to have this one miracle baby. She always had trouble conceiving it, but she did. um she gives the rest of us a very good life, like the life that she wanted and stuff. And so it's like, she was very imperfect, but it just taught me like, she has bipolar. She has all kinds of issues and stuff herself, but she's medicated and and she just does the best she can. So it's just like, I get very defensive of, you know, foster parents like her, like for sure. She's still not perfect. And she kind of even said she did it for the money one. And I just don't believe it. Like regardless, it changed my life. You know what I mean? Like to have an honest, authentic person who's just putting their soul into championing for this cause makes a difference. Even if you're completely like hurting and imperfect and never feel like a for effort, you really do get an A for effort.
0: Yeah, I'll agree. Because I mean, definitely we do not fall into the category of the people who are not broken or are, or, or are perfect. You we, And it's through those broken places that we have been able to really provide care to kids in places where they needed it because i can understand some of some of their struggles i can understand for them what what it's like to not be perfect and for people to look down on you you know i grew up in that space to some extent i mean my my parents were, were fine loving parents and and all that you know i didn't have that same childhood abuse experience but i did have some i did have some people in my life who who really looked down And I felt that a lot, very deeply. And it wasn't until I got old enough to realize that, hey, wait, (laughs) I I figured out how to walk out of that. And maybe I could hand that to a kid. Maybe I could hand that, that pathway to kids. And it's been really amazingly helpful for us to be able to take some of our own pain and share the lessons learned there and help kids go from a place of hurt to a place of success, which is what it really sounds like you have done throughout this journey
2: Yeah, I just ask that anybody who's tempted to criticize someone who's in the trenches, making a difference in the foster care system somehow, if you have the time to go judge and observe and criticize these people, you have extra time to actually be making a difference in these foster kids' lives. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say is just... I have this thing of like I'm never going to look at a problem unless if I'm looking for the solution and have the time and energy and desire to find the solution and be a part of the solution. So that's what I just wish like people just come from it from a point of put yourself in the other person's shoes that you're trying to help. If you can't do that, don't get involved in this. But if you can do that, again, we're all imperfect people and that we're even imperfect helps us relate to them. Like, it's all good. Just be proud of yourself. You don't have to be perfect, do everything right. It's just, just empathy is all I ask. Just have empathy for these kids. Like like veterans, like you said, a lot of people, really honor our veterans a lot of people really can put themselves in that place of you risked our lives for our freedom and you know that's why they want to support veterans you know as do i but not too many people even the ones that are involved in foster care really actually put themselves in the foster kids place like they there's like observable facts that i hear a lot of foster parents or you know people that are training social or whatever like say like they don't come into foster care with very much stuff and So you might want to get them a few things. But, you know, I was just listening to something like that. And again, I was a foster kid. I was the one that didn't have anything when I went into foster care. My foster mom really advocated for me to go back home and take a bag so I could have even one bag of anything. But feeling like the foster kid, you know, I remember it didn't matter to me. I lost my whole world, didn't have a family didn't have anybody who cared about me. None of my friends even seemed to notice that I disappeared from the world. I wasn't in school. I was just um, you know, completely brokenhearted. It wasn't in high school. All those dreams again in the Harvard. It's like, well, that's not gonna happen now. And I just cried and cried and cried. And you know, all I really cared when I did get to go back and retrieve some stuff were just some cards from friends, like when I had moved of just that they cared about me. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's like me, you know, not everybody's just so sentimental like that. But I'm just saying, like, a lot of the nonprofits, even if they're good nonprofits, I just feel like you can make a more potent difference if you're just really putting yourself in the place of foster kids, because it takes a lot of time and money donations to make any nonprofit good. But I just I, I really like to support there are so many different ways to make like a powerful impact you just put yourself in their shoes. And just I understand like, what you really need is some inspiration, what you really need is people who will prove that they really care about you. Um, they really don't need money, unless that, that money is helping you believe in yourself. So that's my two cents about what nonprofits are good to support
0: well i'm not going to argue with that a bit because all that is very very important you know as as we've walked this journey i found that there are a handful of people out there that are doing things horribly there is a lot of people who who are working their best to try and do to make the biggest difference they they possibly can and you know you're talking about the people who who look down and then who who want to be judgmental about it and I'm always tempted to recite the the speech given by Teddy Roosevelt but I can't remember it well enough to recite the whole thing but it was part of his fireside chats where he says you know that to the the to the victor you know, or not to the victor, the, to the one um, who who deserves to to have some recognition, some some of the glory is the one who stands in that arena, the one who fights, whose face is marred by sweat and blood, who who does what needs to be done, even though he knows that most likely he will fail. Uh, he, he'll still fight for what is right, regardless of what the outcome is. And the the real the real reward there is that he is never going to be one of those. Cold and timid souls who stands and and uh criticizes the doer of deeds and as opposed to actually making that difference themselves, and I think that's such an important thing. I totally massacred that, by the way. If anybody wants to find it,
2: I had posted that on my Facebook page too. Yeah, it recently. This, what really adds the powerful um, impact of that quote is that he is a handicapped man mm-hmm. speaking this, who was our U.S. president. <laughs> you know, we elected him as a world leader. So he knows all about turning a hopeless situation into one of the most powerful figures in our history. That's the part that gets me. It's like, no matter what you believe in politics, you've got to respect the person who came from that underdog of a story and did not feel hopeless, found some resiliency in him and made a difference. He left his mark in this world. Flawed as he was, handicapped as he was, he was very capable
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's, it's the man in the arena speech. If somebody wants to find it, look up the man in the arena and Teddy Roosevelt You'll you'll find that speech pretty quickly. But I think that's so important to remember that, that we do what we can as best we can when we can and, and make that, make that change in the world that we, that we so much desire to see. And, you know, for, for obviously for my wife and I, and for you, Cheryl, that, that means taking care of kids in care in some way or another because those are the populations that God put us on this earth to serve. And I found that there are two calls that I cannot ignore. One of those is when my wife calls me, I'm supposed to answer that call, and when God calls. Those are the two, not necessarily in that order, but I have to follow those callings because that that's thats what makes a difference in my life, is to go make that change. And that's really what I was talking about earlier even, is that knowing what that calling is and and refusing to hide from it to stand in that place even when you don't know that you know how to do it because um i don't think we knew what we were doing when we got started we were kind of clueless but we were just we were called in that direction so we followed that calling and to date it has changed you know it has changed i'll say at least the lives of our family 100 percent and Some portion of those almost 30 kids that have come through our house as well. We've changed some lives in some ways that we'll never even understand the impact, the depth of that impact, or how far out that change will go into into our future because our legacy is something that we get to leave behind us. And we have to choose what that is. We don't get to choose whether or not we leave a legacy because even abusive parents leave a legacy. It's not a great one, but you get to choose what yours is. And that's what we do, and that's what you're doing. And so we just want to really just honor you, Cheryl, for, for coming out of a hard place and being willing to change your story into something instead of being a victim, being the person who's out there supporting others, helping others coming from that place where you're you're working through your own healing and using that to help others heal. And I just want to say that what you've done is amazing. What you continue to do is amazing. And anybody who wants to find you and, and go out and jump on your bandwagon and help other kids, um, it is, what is it? Fundfc.org, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, sorry. Yes, and my email address is Cheryl at Fundfc.org.
0: Okay, and and I can make certain that all of that ends up in the uh, in the show notes, so that if anybody wants to find it, you can just look in the show notes. To be fair, we've had something weird go on with Apple Podcast, and so if you go to look at the the show notes in Apple Podcast, most of the links do not work, and it has something to do with Apple. And if you want to get a hold of their customer service for me, because I can't seem to figure out <laughs> how to make that that change in the show notes, so if it doesn't work, you can always copy and paste. Or um, if you go to fostercarenation.com, on top left, hit the, the, um, the podcast blog and then the, the show will be in there and you can find everything. All those links are active. I, I can put those in. I own that website. I can make sure that they actually work there. So if you listen on Apple and it doesn't work, you can go find all those links and find Cheryl in the show notes.
2: One more thing, just another way people can get involved is by babysitting for foster parents. So wonderful people like you can get a break sometimes to help with sanity. I mean, it doesn't guarantee sanity, but it can help. I've done that before. And there's a lot of people that just want to interact with foster kids, but maybe like single parents or they don't have extra beds. You can foster even as a single parent, by the way, but. Um, just for people that don't feel like they can right now, there's so many ways you can help out, including babysitting, like breastfeed care for you wonderful providers.
0: Wait, are we supposed to be working on keeping our sanity?
1: <laughs> what sanity?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we've lost that at this point, but maybe we'll get it back. That's
1: for
2: others to help you work on that. <laughs> Give you a break sometimes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today, Cheryl.
2: I appreciate you guys so much. Keep up the good work, guys and gal. Gals. Is that baby a girl? Yeah. Guy and gals.
0: are precious. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Cheryl's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Nation. Dot com You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebookcom groups uj And don't forget, we have an account at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you'd like. It's at buymeacoffee.com/fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always,
2: you are so super awesome.
1: I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
0: Foster Care Nation, listen up. That's what I say every week. This week, I want to listen to you guys. If you would, you're going to hear Cheryl talk in this episode a little bit about looking for ways that we can serve foster kids. I'd love to hear your suggestions. Also... You can leave us some stories. If you have a story or something you'd like to share, something that we can play on the podcast episode, give us a call at 413-Foster3. Again, that's 413-367-8373. And let us know if you have any ideas. (laughs) Unparalleled Studios. Unparalleled Studios.